0: Well, it's good to see everyone this morning. For those of you who came in late, and if I don't know you, my name is Todd. I'm the uh, lead pastor, and I'm uh, so glad that you are here to worship with us at Hilton Head Island Community Church. Um, thanks also for those of you who are listening via our podcast. We're glad that you are are joining in as well. Uh, I'm glad to be back with you. I had the week off uh, thanks to our youth pastor, our student pastor, Cody Hensley. And uh, Cody, thank you for um, bringing God's message last week. Uh, I was so glad to be a part of the service, and uh, it's nice to be able to have that break. I came in shorts, and I came at 11.15, and I was almost late. So I fit right in, didn't I, last week? Okay, so it was great. I uh, loved it, and uh, so um, I'm very thankful uh, that Cody was able to do that. Two weeks ago when uh, I was here, I mentioned that um, my grandfather on my mom's side of the family, uh, a man by the name of Bill William W. Boyd, um, passed away a few weeks ago. My mom's, uh, grandf- my mom's dad, my grandfather, passed away just a few weeks ago, and uh, we as a family, they were able to kind of delay things a little bit so that we were able to go um, to uh, the memorial service and the funeral, and um, I was able to be a part of the eulogy, and Cynthia, who has known him, was really uh, her grandfather in in many ways. She's known him for nearly 20 years. Um, she was able to be a part, too, and so we've been gone for these past A few weeks, and we had a great time there as a family. This was my last living grandfather, grandparent, and uh, we had a great time as a family um, remembering Pop as we knew him. Um, I was the oldest of uh, five grandchildren that he had, and we called him Pop, and uh, we remembered Pop. One thing about Pop, my grandfather, is that um, he had a lot of hobbies. I mean, he um, he was into model trains. Um, I remember growing up going to his house, loving going to his house, because he had model trains everywhere, and so that was a lot of fun. And um, he was a world traveler. I didn't know this, but um, uh, my parents told us that he and my grandmother, who passed away in 2007, had gone on 50 cruises in their life, and uh, they cruised all around the world. And I, I would have loved to have seen him on one of the carnival cruises a few months back. That would have been funny to watch him. Um, but uh, he was, uh, he was uh, a man of many different hobbies and talents and that sort of thing, an incredible banker. Uh, he was the president of a savings and loan. But one of the hobbies that he loved, and one of the things that he loved, was um, he loved genealogy and, and ancestry. And that's something that he kind of passed down to me Um, very willingly, um, I told him uh, in these last couple years, knowing that he was gonna be um, uh, one day passing on, I said, I I will take on the responsibility of keeping up with our family's history and genealogy, um, because I have a love for history and, and all that kind of thing. And so it's really easy for me, because he did all the research and he gave me a binder a few years ago that's in our house, so all I have to do is keep up with the binder and pass it on to my children, who hopefully one of them will have the same interest. Well, it was interesting because Pop, as my mom's dad, um, about 30 years ago when he began to get involved in um, all this research of our family history, um, he researched the Boyd name. That was his last name, a very Irish name, and he loved finding out what names mean and he loved finding out what the family history of our family is. And so he researched the Boyds uh, back uh, to about the 17th century. Um, and they were obviously from Ireland, very Irish family. And my grandmother, my mom's mom, um, she was a Heise, and that's a very German uh, family. And he was able to actually trace them back to the uh, late 1500s and early 1600s. It was pretty, pretty far back. And um, he did something that was kind of interesting in our family. He told my dad, so this would be his son-in-law, hey, I'm going to research the Cullen name. And my dad was like, I'm not sure if I want you to do that, but go ahead and, you know, let's find out what kind of surprises there are there. And sure enough, there was one very surprising thing about the Cullen name that we found out when my grandfather researched the Cullen name. Um no, uh, you know, we're not the Cullen of the Twilight series, okay? And that's you know, just so I just heard all the young people laugh. Nobody over my age knows what that is, but anyway, it's that's not real. just so you know it's a fictional story, that Cullen. We're real, okay? So anyway, um, my grandfather Cullen, um, was very proud of something in his life. He was very proud of the fact that he was Scottish and he was born in carluke Scotland. and um so For him, because his his parents were born in Scotland, for him, his whole life centered around the fact that he was Scottish. I mean, the guy, you'd walk in his house, it was just like one of Mike Myers' characters, Scottish characters. Um, You walk in his house, and everything about his house was Scottish, The guy loved Scottish beer and Scotch. I mean, he just, everything about him was Scotch. Well, one of the things that he was very proud of about being Scottish is that he wasn't Irish. (laughs) He was very proud of the fact that he was Scotch. The Cullens are Scottish, but we're not Irish, he used to say. So my grandfather, Boyd, researched the Cullen family name, and found out that Cullen was actually Callan, and that there were only two generations, my grandfathers and his parents had actually lived in Scotland. So for the five or six generations that he could research of Cullen's, were all from Ireland. So my poor grandfather Cullen, there he is, going to his grave thinking that he's Scottish, and in reality, he's from Ireland. And so I remember uh, growing up when my grandfather found out about this, about the Cullen name, my dad and his sisters actually had a little meeting. Like, um, we need to tell him this. He was in his 70s and in very bad health, kind of heading towards his death, which happened about 20 years ago. And they decided not to tell him because they were afraid of his temper, his Irish temper. So anyway, so my, my grandfather went to his grave thinking that he was Scottish And uh, so that's one of the stories that I can tell you about the Cullen family, Uh, so anyway, in church, that is. It's very interesting if you've ever done any research on your name or your family name or your surname or heritage, um, you'll find out some things about your, your name, maybe some things you don't want to know. And we have stories on the other side of my family, on the Boyd and Heisey side of my family that are just scary if you knew about them and, and that sort of thing. You'll find out some very interesting things if you do uh, research. And a lot of times our surnames, our last names will tell us a little bit about our history. In this series we're continuing today called AKA God, we're learning a lot about God and who He is through His names. In the English language, we really only have one or two names for God, God or Lord, Uh, and then we, we might have some adjectives that describe Him, Lord Almighty, God Almighty, God Most Powerful, Lord on High. We might have some things that describe Him, but we really only have a few names for God. But back in Israel, the Jewish people had three main names for God. They had uh, 80-plus compound names for God, and then you could actually expand that to several hundred different names for God. Each one of them was very descriptive of who he is and very descriptive of what kind of character God has. But I want you to hear this, and this is probably the underlying thing that I want you to hear about this whole series is just knowing the names of God, just understanding the names of God, as Cody brought last week and I brought a few weeks ago, and then again today and a few more weeks. Just knowing the names of God is just intellectual knowledge. I want us to dig down and find out what we personally can learn from learning about God through his names and how it affects us personally, how we can be changed as people knowing the names of God. Because if you go through this whole series, if you hear this, or maybe go to the podcast when you're not here, and you hear the whole series, and you don't try to apply it to your own spiritual journey, all it'll be is knowledge. You'll be really good at Bible trivia. And uh, so we want you to go deeper and learn what those names mean and discover what it means to you personally. Now, so far in this series, we've considered Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts or the God of the angel armies, which we just sang about. We uh, have discovered, as Cody brought us last week, Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord of Presence, not like presents you get on your birthday or at Christmas, but the Lord is here, and he's with us, and I loved what Cody did for those of us who were Christ followers last week, as he gave us an exercise to be still, as the Bible says, and know that I'm God, and know that he is here. And so we've talked about those two names of God. Today we come to... a a much more broad name uh, of God. In fact, if you may have grown up in church, you might have even heard this name of God. There was a song that was written about it um, many, many years ago when I was growing up, um, and the the name of God that we're going to look at today is El Shaddai. It's kind of funny, the song that was written that many of you know really has nothing to do with El Shaddai. It has to do with the names of God uh, itself. And so we're going to be taking a look at El Shaddai. Now, here's one thing I want to give you a preface before we dive in. El Shaddai is a very broad name of God. It's a general characteristic. It's not going to be as specific as the ones that Cody and I have brought to you so far, but we can still learn something from this name of God. Take a look at your notes. Let's find out, first of all, what El Shaddai means. It first of all means the powerful God, the powerful God. Or it can also mean the all-sufficient God Or it can mean, I love this one, the abundant one. Isn't that great? The abundant one. And in a day and age where we worry about abundance and we worry about sufficiency, we have a God who has absolutely no limitations on who he is and how powerful he is. Isn't that amazing? That we have a God that is absolutely so powerful now, El is a name for God. That's where that comes from. But the Shaddai, the word, if you study it a little bit, it really comes from an old uh, Hebrew word meaning mountain. And so you can see the power of that name, mountain, the mo- one of the most powerful things that we can have. The reason it means all sufficient or abundant one, and I want you to capture this. Please get this. Don't miss this. Is that the God that we serve, the God who gave us Jesus Christ so that we can put our faith and our trust in him to forgive us of our sins so that that we can live with him in heaven one day if we put our faith and trust in him. That God, El Shaddai, has nothing that needs to be added to who he is to make him more powerful. Isn't that amazing? There's nothing that needs to be added to El Shaddai that would make him more powerful. You see, we can do things that make ourselves more powerful. We can exercise. We can eat right. You know, we can have the right, you know, uh, formula for endurance. But there's nothing that God needs to do. There's nothing else that needs to be added to him to make him more powerful than he is. I don't know about you. um, I go through periods of time in my own life where I feel very, very weak. Um, and, and maybe a little bit disconnected. And I've gone through one of those periods of time in my life um, these past few weeks. It kind of um, came to a culmination um, on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. I mean, it, you might look from the outside like, hey, Todd, it's great. You didn't have to preach last week. You didn't have to teach last week. You had a day off. It's summertime. Everything's going great with the church. You got a great family. You know, things ought to be going good. But I've had some things in my life happen recently that's um, caused me. To feel a bit weak in my life, my grandfather was um, just kind of a um, kind of a pillar spiritually for me. He was very supportive and very encouraging of my walk with God. Cynthia can attest to that. He was very encouraging and supportive of my calling to be a pastor. And so when he passed away, man, that was a, that was a huge blow. And we knew it. He was 91 years old. He had lived a full life, um, but that kind of event has caused me to maybe uh, feel a little bit weak spiritually. Um, I turned 40 this year. Need I say more? Um, And Cynthia had a birthday this past Friday, and I won't go into that. But she had a birthday this Friday, and our daughter um, had a birthday on Thursday. And Cynthia and I, we hosted our first um, eight- and nine-year-old girls sleepover on Thursday night. And we survived. We're here to tell about it. But um, I got to tell you, I felt a little bit weak the next day, (laughs) and um, watching the energy of an eight and nine-year-old, and how they stayed up all night, and we didn't, and we had to sleep. Uh, Just watching that, you know, it kind of makes you feel a little bit weak. Um, Our church is growing by leaps and bounds, and uh, I'm so thankful for all that God is doing in our church. But Boy, there are times when our staff is beginning to grow and there are times when I feel like a great leader and then there are times when I feel like I don't have a leadership bone in my body and I feel weak as a leader sometimes. I feel weak as a father sometimes. I feel weak as a husband sometimes. There are times that we all go through that we feel very weak. And I've had one of those times and it kind of culminated this week when I was beginning to study this message. And to be quite honest, I was having a hard time drilling down on making this really practical. Do you see the irony there? I was feeling weak and I'm talking about the all-powerful God and I was having a difficult time And I think that part of the reason is, is that I was trying to overcome my weakness. And I think we all have this tendency, we all have this temptation to overcome our weakness and our failure and our fear by bucking up, by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, by trying to find something within us that we can get over those challenges that we face that we can dig deep enough inside ourselves to find that thing that's going to help us get over that thing that's making us feel weak. And we do that, and that's a temptation, because quite honestly, society has told us that we can do that on our own. Society has told us that we can dig deep enough within ourselves to cover all of our problems, to overcome all of our issues, to be good enough. And I'm here to tell you today that if you have heard that before, and maybe even some pastors, maybe even some well-known pastors have said that on TV or in churches you've been a part of, they were wrong. Because we cannot do it ourselves. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? You can't do good enough yourself. How about that? But we have a powerful, the all-powerful, the all-sufficient God on our side who can help us get through the mess of life. This message today is a bit geared toward those of you who call yourselves Christ followers, but if you're here today and you're searching or you're wondering, or maybe um, you're a skeptic in here today, that's okay, because you too can learn something about God, and my prayer for you is, is that it would cause you to come to a point where you would say yes to Jesus Christ, God's son, the El Shaddai's son. Take a look at your notes this morning, because what I want to talk to you about this morning is something that I had to come to grips with just this week. I had to get on my knees this week, and I had to figure out what it meant to trust once again in the Almighty God to overcome my weaknesses. I had to get, as your pastor, I'm telling you that even I have to get on my knees many times during the week and, and, and recalibrate my ability to trust in God. And so today, I want to give you three ways that we can Uh, understand El El Shaddai, the all-powerful God, and three ways that we can recalibrate, or maybe some of you for the first time, calibrate your ability to trust Him. Because if we don't do this, we're on very dangerous ground when we trust ourselves or when we trust what conventional wisdom or what society says. If we don't trust God the Father, the all-powerful one, we're on a very slippery slope. So let's take a look at these three things that will help us to once again recalibrate ourselves, to trust El Shaddai, God Almighty. Number one, trusting El Shaddai means that he is to be worshipped above all other gods. Trusting El Shaddai means that he is to be worshipped above all other gods. I want you to listen to these words, Psalm 135, 6 and 7. The psalmist says here, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. And then verse 6 says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. The, The first observation that I want to make from this passage is in that very first verse, the psalmist is declaring something. Take a look at what he's declaring. He says this, for I know that the Lord is, what? Great. And that our Lord is above all gods. You see, even the psalmist, even the one who wrote this book of Psalms, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this book, even he had to declare, I know that the Lord is great. And there are several times during scripture where the one who's writing, the one who's inspired by God to write his message to his people is making a statement of declaration. And I think that sometimes we begin to trust ourselves to overcome our problems, or we, try, we trust in other things to overcome our problems, because we haven't gotten to the place where we declare that God, the Lord God, is great. And this isn't some kind of like, you know, self-help talk, just talk yourself into it and you'll believe it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that even the psalmist believed it, but once he declared it, once he declared it, then it was almost like it was as good as done with God. So you can declare something for several reasons. You can declare it for yourself, you can declare it for others, or you can declare it to tell God what's really going on in your heart. And so if you're here today and you need to recalibrate your ability to trust God, the Lord God Almighty, maybe what you need to do is to begin by declaring what's deep down in your heart, that you really do trust him, that you maybe have just forgotten exactly how to do that. Let's read it again. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all other gods. Now, it's really easy for um, those of you who are in here who are Christ followers, who are God followers, to say, I've got that second part down. I'm good with that. I don't believe in other gods. I put God, Jehovah, uh, you know, the Jehovah that we serve. I put El Shaddai before other gods. But I think that maybe sometimes we actually do trust in other things or other people, and we make them gods, small g gods. We make them small g. When when we're going through a trying time, maybe we put our trust in something else, um, like something that maybe makes us a little more powerful than ourselves, have you ever gone to a movie that was the story or read a book that was the story about someone who was incredibly weak and, and they become the victor? I love stories like that. And, and man, th- those can really be good for us. But when we put our trust in entertainment, when we put our trust in a story before we put our trust in, to, in God, then maybe we need to stop and recalibrate that. Um, s- some of you uh, put your trust in, in things that will help you, um, like you know, when you feel weak, you like to eat. I'm raising my hand. I won't ask you if you're in here and you like to eat when you feel weak. I'm one of them, okay? I like, thank you very much. Okay, I have a hand here. Uh, So sometimes we put our trust in, in food and drink and maybe even medicine to make us feel better about ourselves and to strengthen us And all of those things, do you realize each one of those things are good? Food is good for our our bodies. It brings nourishment to us. Medicine, sometimes we need medicine to have. But when we are weak and we put our trust in something else that we believe is going to take care of us, that's the definition of God right here, by the way. Something that's going to take care of us. And we really aren't putting our trust in El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. Some of us like to put our trust to make us feel better in sports. We do. Or maybe our kids' sports, right? Parents, baseball, soccer. Listen, my son has started playing soccer these last few years. I love watching that kid go down the field and score a goal. And I'm like, man, I love it. And I'm his coach. I love it when we win, which we didn't this year. We were 0-8. But anyway, we, uh, <laughs> it was a rough year in <laughs> soccer in the Cullen House. But anyway, we, we put our trust in something that makes us feel good about ourselves, doesn't it? Winning. Makes us feel good about ourselves. When we rely on something other than "Else should I" to help us get over the challenges, the weaknesses, the fear in life. Maybe we need to stop and recalibrate where we're putting our trust. Okay, so that's good, but let's keep on reading. Look at verse number six. Verse six here says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the deep. God will stop at nothing to do what he wants. I want you to hear this again. God will stop at nothing to do what he pleases and what he wants with your life, and he has your best interest in mind. He he, uh, is committed uh, to, to seeing us through, and so we should be committed to lifelong in our lives honoring him in our lives. Look at the first action step this morning. It's make God first priority. Make God first priority, but this isn't about worship or life necessarily, but this is when we have weaknesses, when we have failures, that we turn to him first, that we turn to him first. You see, understanding El Shaddai means that we call on God before anything else, and when we do that, then we've successfully gotten over the temptation to be self-reliant instead of God relying. Secondly, trusting El Shaddai is relying on God to keep his promises. Trusting El Shaddai is relying on God to keep his promises. One of the unique things about El Shaddai, the name for God, is that it was exclusively used, it was most often used um, when God was giving his promises to his people. If you look in the Bible, there are several different covenants, that's a, that's a word for promise, um, there are several different covenants that he made. He made one with Noah, He made one with Abraham, he made one with with Moses, and then he made one with King David. Uh, There were several different covenants in the Old Testament, and in each one of those cases, he was called, and he called himself El Shaddai, the most powerful one. So you can kind of equate this idea of El Shaddai being all-powerful to the fact that God is the promise fulfiller, that he is the one that will fulfill the promises that he made. Or he is the great promise keeper because he keeps all of his promises. Um, Several weeks ago, Cynthia and I spoke on um, Mother's Day about God's sovereignty in terms of parenting, in terms of being a parent. And we all struggle with that. And we talked about Abraham and Sarah. And we talked about how it must have been so tough for Abraham as he put Isaac, his son that God had placed so much importance on as he put him on the altar. And God saved uh, Isaac in that moment. It's a beautiful picture of who Christ is and that sort of thing. But I want to take a step back and take a look at what Abraham and Sarah went through to get to the point where they had Isaac. Because I think we can see that the God, El Shaddai, is a promise fulfiller, the promise keeper. It's interesting because God first came to Abram when he was 75 years old. Did you catch that? 75 years old. He was 75 years old and God came to him and the promise that he made was is that he was going to make his name great and that he was going to bless him above all others and that he was going to make him the father of many nations. He was 75 years old and you know how many children he and his wife Sarah had at that point in time? None. None. They didn't have any children. Now, I know that people lived longer back in that day, but 75 years old and no children, that's not looking real good, is it? Those aren't good odds, are they? And so you see as Genesis progresses that Sarah and Abraham and God have these interesting conversations. God keeps coming to them, and he keeps reaffirming that promise. You're gonna be the father of a great nation. You and Sarah will be the parents of a great nation. And they get older, and they get older, and they get older. And there's one particular passage where Abraham is well into his 90s, and he still has no son. In fact, he and Sarah get together, and they decide that they're going to come up with a way to help God fulfill his promises. Do you ever do that? Like, we circumvent what God's real plan is. And so Sarah said, hey, why don't you go with one of my maidservants, and you can give birth to a son? And Abraham did, and his name was Ishmael. But this wasn't the promised son that God had promised, because he had promised that Sarah and Abraham would have a son. I'm sure there was doubt. I'm sure that there was questioning. We know that there was laughter, because Sarah laughs when the angels come to him and talk, and talk to her. And so we know that there's questioning. We know that there's doubt. But God kept his promise. Take a look at Genesis 21, 1 and 2. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had what? Promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Theologians tell us that Abraham was 99 years old when Isaac was born, that Sarah was well into her 90s as well. The odds were against him ever becoming the father of a great nation. But God is a great promise keeper, isn't he? So if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I believe that God told me that I needed to pursue this career. And you've been pursuing it for years and maybe decades. And you find yourself in 2013 underemployed or unemployed and frustrated. I'm here to tell you today that El Shaddai keeps his promise. If you're here today and you know that God told you that he would bring you that husband and wife and you are still single or maybe single again, I'm here to tell you today that El Shaddai, the powerful one, will keep his promise. If maybe God spoke to you and told you that he wanted you involved in some kind of ministry effort, but you stand here today or you sit here in this place today and it looks very unlikely I'm here to tell you that El Shaddai, the powerful one, keeps his promise. Abraham was never known for his perfect lifestyle. In fact, just the opposite. He did some things that weren't pleasing to God as time went on. But you know what Abraham was known for? It said that God counted his belief that God would fulfill his promise as righteousness. And so if you're here today and you are at the end of your rope, you are absolutely, absolutely at the end, and your belief and your trust in God has gone long ago. My challenge to you today, it's the second action step, is believe that God will complete what he started. Because you see, as the all-powerful one, there is no challenge, there is no circumstance, there is no person in your life, that can keep God from fulfilling that promise that he made to you long ago. He is faithful, and he is the promise fulfiller. And finally, point number three, trusting El Shaddai means that in times of trouble, we can find protection in him. It means that in times of trouble, we can find protection in him. The kind of protection that I'm talking about this morning is not just physical protection, but it's also emotional and spiritual and physical protection. You can find protection in El Shaddai. Look what the psalmist wrote of El Shaddai in Psalm 91. He said this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. How many of you had a great fear as a child? Just raise your hand this way. I mean, a fear, you know, scared of the dark, scared of the boogeyman. How many of you had a great fear as a child? I I had one. It was of our basement. I grew up in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I was scared to death of the basement. And I was like in middle school, okay? I wasn't like an elementary school student. I'm, uh, you know, not too embarrassed to admit. I was scared of the basement and maybe of the dark a little bit. And my parents might ask me to go down in the basement, and I'd go down into the basement, and I would make Olympic time getting back up to the first floor. I'm short, but I skipped some steps, let me tell you. I was scared of what was down there. And as I grew up, as I got to understand that there was really nothing to be afraid of, you know, Freddie and Jason weren't in my basement, okay? As I began to understand that there wasn't someone down there trying to get me, my Fear of that was replaced by a fear of the future, by a fear of not succeeding in life, by a fear of not being the right husband, maybe not being the right dad. Nowadays, my fear is that and not being the right pastor sometimes. We all have fear. We all have things that we're afraid of. Maybe you're here today and you're a college student about ready to embark or you're a high school student that you just graduated. You're about ready to embark into college world and you're afraid of what the future holds. I understand that. Your parents are afraid of what the future holds too, I'm sure. You may be in school and you love the summer because you know during the summer you're not going to get pushed around and bullied and made fun of and you're scared to death when August gets here, because you got to get back into it. El Shaddai is the one who can protect you. He's the one that can protect you. We talked about the God of the angel armies a few weeks ago, and that's offensive in nature. This is defensive in nature. He can protect you during times of fear. I love it when he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Almighty will abide. That word abide there means literally spend the night. We're all afraid of the dark at some point in our lives. The psalmist here says, you can spend the night in the shelter of the Most High. Isn't that great news? That's a great place to spend the night. You see, El Shaddai should be the one that we go to first when we're fearful of the future. Because let's face it, we may have been scared of the basement we may have been scared of the boogeyman, or we've been scared of the monster in the closet, or we may have been scared of the dark when we we're kids. But as we grow up, our fears are just replaced. Our fears of the present are just replaced by fears of the future. But we can go to God, we can go to El Shaddai, the all powerful one, and we can receive safety. It's your last action step. During times of fear, whatever that fear may be, or danger, find your safety. In God. I'm guessing that there are some of you who, like me this week, needed to be reminded of the power of El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, and that that is a very real power. power just as the fear or just as the weakness is very real in our lives, His power is also just as real if we will turn to Him and recalibrate ourselves by turning to Him first. You see, we can move from a place where we're self-reliant to a place where we're God-reliant if we turn to El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, when we have times of fear and times of weakness. Why don't you pray with me this morning? I know that there may be some of you in this room who are going through times where you are fearful You're afraid of the future. You're afraid of maybe the fact that the past might catch up to you one day. Maybe you're afraid for your safety or your livelihood. Or maybe you're afraid of what might happen to you financially. Maybe you have a relationship that you're fearful of right now. And maybe you are at a point where you are terribly afraid of the future and you feel incredibly weak right now, right here in this moment I'm going to ask you and I'm going to challenge you this morning to get back to a point where you declare that El Shaddai is so powerful that it may not be easy but he can guide you through some of your greatest challenges in life because he is the almighty and powerful one I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a very, very simple prayer. It's a prayer of declaration. And if you're in here today and you need your trust recalibrated towards El Shaddai, I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer in the quietness of this room and your heart, but pray it to God, meaning it. Here's the prayer. God, today I ask you to help me to make you my first priority. I'm asking you to help me to believe that you will complete what you started in my life. And Father, today I'm asking you to help me to trust you when I'm fearful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.